Nice. Bow your heads with me, would you, family? Aren't you glad he uh, answered that request? He's filled the place. Most of you felt it when you walked in here. The presence of God changes everything. Gives us strength. Breaks down doubt. Gives us courage. The love we need to hold on to each other. And I don't know why he's chosen this place. I mean, we're not doing things right. This is unmerited grace that he shows up here every week. But he's here and we praise you for that, Father. Take a minute and thank him this morning for being your Savior. Just just take a minute to. Next, and this might take a little longer. The King of Glory is King of your life. Pray this morning and give Him full reign, full control, whatever He wants in your life. You're not just your Savior, but your Lord. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. So, Richard and Eric and Aaron went out and played a round of golf this past summer, and they get, they get hit by lightning, and as odd as this sounds, all three of these jokers go to heaven. So now you know it's a joke right off the bat. But anyway, as soon as they get to heaven, one of them asks, hey, is there golf in heaven? And Peter said, is there golf in heaven? Man, it is incredible golf in heaven. And listen, there's no rules. You can roll the ball. You can uh, you know, use a kick wedge. You can uh, cheat on your score. All the things that Richard Kruzovich is used to anyway. But there's one rule you cannot disobey. You cannot hit a duck. Bad consequences for hitting a duck. Well, they started to play, and they hadn't gone two holes, and Richard Kruzovich hit a duck. And immediately Peter showed up, and he handcuffed this ugly, I mean ugly woman, to his wrist for eternity for hitting a duck. Well, Eric and uh, Aaron kept playing, and pretty soon Eric hit a duck. And here comes Peter, the nastiest looking woman. You, I mean, you can't imagine, handcuffed to, to his wrist for eternity. Well, Aaron being Aaron, he kept playing. About an hour later, Peter showed up with this knockdown gorgeous woman, prettiest gal you'd ever seen, handcuffed her to Aaron's wrist. And Aaron said, my goodness, I don't know what in the world I've done to deserve this. And the woman said, I don't know what you did, but I hit a duck. Now, <laughs> I don't know if it's like that in heaven or not, but I will tell you this. You, you and I have a tendency to make judgments based on appearances, both in the things we see and the things we hear. Now, last week we talked about Jesus being the teacher, the master teacher. This week I'd like to talk a little bit about what Jesus says about all the other teachers that are running around. And there's lots of us right now. And this is what Jesus says about us teachers. Watch out. Be careful. They're not all legitimate. There are some wolves in sheep's clothing. So be careful. Our teaching comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, and this is what Jesus said. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Be careful, Jesus says. Watch out. A lot of teaching going on right now. 
Did you guys ever play that game where you line up a bunch of people in a straight line and you whisper a secret in the first guy's ear and then he carries it on to her and to him and to her and him and by the time it gets to the end, it's nothing like it started. Did you ever do that before? We did that years ago in my youth group in my home church and uh, by the time it got to Bill Strother, who was like the 15th person in, I, I don't know what he heard, but when he turned and whispered to Amy Ward's ear, she turned red-faced and slugged him right in the mouth. I mean, bare, a closed fist slugged him in. It was awesome. And I don't know what she said. <laughs> it was awesome. I don't know what he said, but whatever he said was wrong. And I've been thinking about that. It's amazing to me how quickly we can mess up the facts, especially these days, and make them say what we want them to say. And I don't just mean politically, oh, oh my goodness, is that going on on both sides of the aisle? But how we mess the facts up, and it seems like the farther we get from the source, the easier that gets, it kind of snowballs. And I've seen it a lot even in preaching. But here's the thing. When you're talking about a gossip line going bad at a youth group party, that's funny. When you're talking about Jim Cain making a mistake with the gospel on Sunday morning, that's scary business. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, don't many of you presume to be teachers. Why? Because as teachers, we're going to be uh, judged more strictly. I think, that, I think about that a lot. Now, I've not brought this up in a long time, and I, I want to bring it up this morning. I want to remind you, please, as my family, please don't take my word for everything on Sunday, for your sake and mine. I would never intentionally mislead you, but I make mistakes up here. And you, this is life and death stuff we're talking about on Sundays. You need to check me out. And when I make a mistake, you do what Eric does. You get in my face and my grill. and you No, he, he's very gentle, but he's watching me. And when I goof up, he lets me know. I don't intend to lead you guys to a desert island someplace and give you Kool-Aid, but I'm going to make mistakes. Watch me. Jesus said, be careful. Now, I think there's two main uh, uh, ideas that Jesus wants us to get from this text this morning concerning a wolf in sheep's clothing. And here's idea number one. Make sure you don't be fooled by any of them. Don't be fooled. Let me ask you something. Anybody, anybody in here know what you get when you put five ducks in a shoebox? You get a box of quackers. That's right. You, you know what kind of uh, television ducks like? Documentaries. I got one more, so hold your nose. Do you, do you know where ducks put their money? In the stork market. Okay, I'm not going to take any money for those. I'll just put them, I'll put them on your bills. But anyway, here's my point. We had no problem recognizing... Oh, those came from you, Melvin, so don't look at me like that. We have no problem recognizing those as duck jokes. Not good duck, duck jokes, but duck jokes nonetheless. And that's why we have this warning, because you and I seem to follow our senses. I mean, if it looks like a duck, and it quacks like a duck, and it waddles like a duck, it must be a duck, right? And most of the time it probably is, but sometimes... Sometimes it's not. And Jesus is just saying, if it looks like a prophet, and it talks like a prophet, and it looks like a prophet, it probably is, but sometimes it's not. And here's the deal. You put a wolf in with the sheep, and he will tear them to pieces. And I've seen it in the body of Christ. It's ugly. I've seen it here. That's why Jesus says, you watch. And, and the word there in the Greek is intently look at. It, because you can't spot one at a glance. It, it doesn't happen. Counterfeit Christians are a lot like counterfeit $20 bills. They're everywhere and they're hard to detect. The problem is counterfeit Christians are dangerous, especially these days. So you've got to watch. If I went to Walmart after church today and I bought a bunch of stuff and I tried to pay for it with an oversized $20 bill that was yellow and had a picture of Angie in the middle of it, that probably wouldn't work. 
But if I was a counterfeiter and I worked hard at it, I could fool you. Happens all the time. I read that when they come up with a new $20 bill to try to, to beat the counterfeiters, within a week there's already 10 copies. Jesus said, watch out, be careful. There's a lot of wolves running around there. Well, how do we do that? Jesus, you can tell by the way they look, right? I mean, I don't wear a tie anymore, but most preachers wear ties. And, you know, they've been to Bible college and they're preaching. You can tell by that, right? Mm -mm. Jesus said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. On the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people to be men of righteousness, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Matthew 23, 27. These were the preachers of the day. They looked good, but they weren't good. Okay, so you can't tell how they look. Surely you can tell by the works, right? Because he said the fruit. You can tell by how they work. No. No, Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and work great miracles in your name? And I'm going to say to you, I never knew you. Wait a minute, Cain. You're telling me that wolves in sheep's clothing can work miracles so good that they can fool us? Yeah. Scary, isn't it? That's why it was to keep watch. Well, if you can't tell by that, surely you can tell by how they speak their vocabulary. Not even close. Lots of people know all the right things to say. You'll hear people say, well, I read the Bible one time. It's more blessed to give than receive. But they sure don't live like that. Or, uh, you know, the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself, but they don't. Or the Bible says you better forgive because you've been forgiven, but they hold a grudge for 15 years. So you see, the point is, saying and living are two different things. You can't tell by the way people talk. Well, then surely you can tell by how sincere they are, right? No, and this is probably the spookiest one of all to me. We just need to be reminded as things ramp up towards the end, there are wolves running around right now that are more intent and more focused than we'll ever be on doing evil, uh, than we'll ever be in doing good. It's tricky out there right now. You've got to watch what you're doing. So how in the world are we going to tell, Jesus? We said you'll know by their fruit. Well, you already said we can't tell by what they do. I know, by their fruit. We don't want to overthink this one. What's the fruit of an apple tree? It's an apple. What's the fruit of a banana tree? It's a banana. What's the fruit of an orange tree? It's an orange. What's the fruit of a prophet? Prophecy. Telling the truth like we talked about last week. The first question we should ask anybody, whether he or she who is teaching us the Word of God, is, is, it, is it what Jesus taught? Is it the truth of Jesus? Not what the culture says is okay. Not what your generation says is okay based on uh, what our generation. None of that has it. If it doesn't come back to Jesus, remember what we said last week? Then it's not truth. So you go to watch. You know, remember how they train a person to spot a counterfeit? $100 bill? You don't do it by showing them all the different counterfeits. There's too many of them out there. No, you show them the original, and they study intently the original. That way, if anything comes across the table that's not the original, you can spot it immediately. That's the way you and I should be with the Word of God. That's why we're told to study to show ourselves approved. That way, when we hear preaching or teaching that never offends anybody, if we hear preaching and teaching that never mentions sin, never labels this being wrong or that being wrong, we hear preaching or teaching that never ruffles anybody's feathers, then we know something's up with that because the Word of God is living and active and sharpened a double-edged sword, cuts all the way to the bone, it's going to make people mad. If we hear preaching or teaching that never mentions hell or preaching and teaching that only talks about hell, that's a red flag. Listen, the message of the Bible is not about self-image 
And it's not about self-help or success or making money or staying healthy all the time or, or winning friends and influencing people. That is called health, wealth, and prosperity preaching. And I'll admit to you, it's fun to listen to. But it's not the truth of the Bible. It's not the way Paul lived. It's not the way Peter, James, or John lived. It's not the way Jesus lived. The truth of the Bible has to do with you and I's sinfulness standing against the perfection of God and the, the, the length that him and his son went to to fix that. Primarily him coming to earth, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins, raising back to life and coming to get us someday. And any preaching that doesn't take you there or any preaching that takes you past that, watch out, Jesus says. Be careful with that. Second thing Jesus wants to make sure is that you and I don't become one of these. That's a scary thought. Become one of what? One of these wolves, one of these false prophets. Why? Because this is what they're going to hear at the end of things. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen to this. Many, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and drive out demons in your name and perform miracles in your name? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Now, I want you to understand, this is not hellfire and brimstone teaching. This is not what Jesus does. This is not turn or burn preaching. Jesus doesn't operate that way. This is what Jesus does. He just tells us the truth, and then he gives you and I the freedom to act on it. It's called free will. That's what he does. And you and I do that every time we hear the truth. Every time we leave here on Sunday morning, every time you leave small group, every time you leave Bible study, you leave and you're going to exercise one of three options every time. Option number one is you're going to reject Jesus. You're going to reject him and his truth. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force salvation on anybody. He's not going to make you live the way he tells you to live. It's called free will. So you have a choice to reject his truth every time you hear it. You can live your life as if he didn't come to earth and live a, a perfect life and die on the cross and raise again and come back to get us maybe any minute. You can live that way if you want to. If you live that way, you give up all the benefits of being in his family and you'll be living in rebellion. And the danger is he'll come back and say, your will be done. You live without me for eternity. You know, it's, it's crazy to me. Every time uh, we have a Category 3 or 4, even a 5 hurricane, and they evacuate someplace, uh, they have the cameras down on the beach, and there's people walking up and down the beach. Like, they're ignoring that there's a hurricane that is even coming, or that it's powerful, and they don't make any preparations at all. And inevitably, there's always one or two people that are swept away when it comes. And we just need to be reminded that no matter how comfortable we get with denying uh, Jesus spiritually as our Lord and Master, if he shows up and we're denying him, we're going to be swept away. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Hebrews 2.3, how can we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And the answer is you can't. Well, you, you can choose to live that way. He's a gentleman. So number one, we can reject Jesus and his truth. Number two, we can accept him. We can do what we did when we were praying this morning. Lord, we've examined your claims. We've looked at it. We investigated it. We believe it. We accept this gift. We don't deserve it. Oh, my goodness, thank you so much. We're going to do the best we can to live for you and to grow into the kind of person you want us to be. And you, you're full charge, man. I'm all in. Anything you want. With my money, with my family, you've got my life. That's the way to live, I'm telling you. The third option is the one that a lot of us choose on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's we stiff-arm Jesus. You know what I mean? 
Jesus talks about the wide and the road and the narrow road. He said, wide's the road that leads to destruction. A lot of people, lots of people are going to be on that road. Uh, uh, narrow's the road that leads to life. Just a few people are on that. It's stiff-arming Jesus. I, I watched, uh, you know, I've been watching um, Stevie Scott use this technique all year, running back for IU. You know, he's running down the, the sideline with the ball, and somebody comes up to tackle him, and he's stiff-arming him. That way, Stevie can keep going the way he wants to go and do what he wants to do, and nobody can change his plans. And that's you and I sometimes if we're not careful. Jesus is supposed to be Lord and Master of our life, and he comes along and wants us to do something that's countercultural, counter to our, you know, our thinking, and we just stiff arm him, and we put it out there. See, the problem with making him Lord of your life is that you've got to give up control, and nobody wants to do that. But I want to remind us, if you want to have intimacy in a relationship, you have to give up control. You cannot have control and intimacy. It doesn't work that way. When I married Angie 35 years ago, uh, I gave up control of what I wanted to do for my family. I mean, I just did. Listen, when I was single, I hunted and fished four or five times a week. I played basketball three or four nights a week. I was on a softball team. I played on the weekends. And when I had some spare time, I worked so I could make some money to play. Somebody said, what about golf? I hadn't learned that evil sport yet. You know why they call it golf. All the other four-letter words were taken. I hadn't learned how to do that yet. But I had a blast. I did what I wanted to do anytime I wanted to do it. Would that have worked out for me and my family? No. So I gave up something I loved for something I loved even more. And that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's got to be that way. We're either going to give up control of our lives to him or we're going to keep control of our lives and do what we want to do. And when we do that, we demote Jesus to the genie in the lamp who's just supposed to answer our prayers when we ask him, if we have time to ask him, who becomes part of our agenda, but he's not the agenda. And it looks like that's the good way to live. And lots of people want to live that way, live the way they want to and just bring Jesus in when they want to. But I want to tell you, unfortunately, Jesus won't play that game. You're either for me or against me. You're either all in or you're not, he says. And if we're honest, over the years, some of us have become experts at this. We know what Jesus wants, but when he gets to where we don't want it, we just stiff arm him. I see it a lot in non-Christians, especially in the workforce. Uh, you know, before I came on here full-time, my last 11 years was at the power plant. And I know that's why I only had six baptisms in 11 years. We worked hard on that place. But those guys, man, they were stiff armers. They knew the truth. They just didn't want to act on it. They knew the hole in their heart that only God could fill. And I'd get close to them sometimes, especially on the midnight shift, 2 o'clock in the morning, people are real receptive, you know. But anytime you get close, they'd stick up the arm. And they'd ask goofy questions like, what about the dinosaurs came? What about the crusades? Uh, what about the time the church took advantage of my mom and dad 20 years ago? You know, it's just crazy. We'd get real close and they'd stiff-arm Jesus. And the sad thing is, as Christians, we do this too. If we're not careful, if we don't stay focused, when he comes in part of our life, we don't want to interrupt, we just stiff arm him. Now, there's some real good indicators that will let you know whether or not this is what you're doing. I jotted down a few of them. Number one, instead of reading God's word in private like you should so you can understand what the original is and what the right is, uh, we just are okay with hearing it in public once a week. That's what we pay me the big bucks for, right? So you just let me do it. Or secondly, uh, you're content with having a private Jesus. 
Instead of letting everybody at school and at work and, and at home and every place you're at that you're all in, full out Christian, you just kind of keep it to yourself because you don't want to put up with all, all the heartache that comes from that. Number three, instead of genuine worship, we replace that with church attendance. Somebody says, do you love Jesus? Well, I go to church. Come on, man, you go to the garage. Does that make you a car? Big difference, you know? Number four, instead of faith in God becoming the context for everything, it just becomes a part of what we do. Number five, real love for Christ is replaced by images of loving Christ. Number six, Christianity is not a daily thing anymore for us. It's a weekend thing. Number seven, that deep, exciting, loving relationship we had with Jesus at one time has now just turned into something we do. And of course, number eight is when the truth doesn't move you to tears anymore because it has a hard time getting from here down to here. That's stiff irony. I'm going to quit because i got one more story I want to tell you, but um, there's only three options. You either accept him, uh, you reject him, or you stiff-arm him. Only one of those options are going to give you a full-on, 100% eternal relationship with Jesus. Only one of those options will assure you that you will never hear from him away from me. Uh, you, I never knew you. Nice found a picture of a lion. I got to tell you one more story, but before I do, I want to ask you a question. When's the last time you were at the zoo? The whites were at the zoo yesterday. Crazy to go to the zoo this time of year, but you know what I mean. Grandkids will do that to you. Uh, The last time you were at the zoo, did you see the lion cage? Put your hands up if you saw the lions at the zoo. Were you excited to see the lions at at the zoo? Now, you guys need to get a life if the lion's excited at the zoo. Lions do not excite me at the zoo. You know why? Because they're not doing anything. They're just laying there. It's just a big cat laying there. I don't like little cats, let alone big cats just laying around. Now, if you put a small cat in with those lions, or maybe a monkey, or an unruly kid or something, now now that'd be exciting. But to just see a lion in the zoo, nothing. It's not exciting at all. We went to Wild Kingdom the second year they opened it up in Disney, so that's been 20 years ago. And it was so hot, and we were on this tour bus, and there was a lion laying behind a tree, and his tail did this. And the tour bus driver went nuts. Oh, kids, look, the lion moved. It's like, are you kidding me? But I'm telling you, you see a lion on his own turf, in his terms. That's a different story, man. Andy Stanley said uh, the last time he was on a mission trip to Africa, the guys told him, hey, before you go home, you're going to have to take one of those safari trips. And he said, set it up. So they did. And he said he was in this open-top jeep. And they were out on this uh, reservation or reserve, the game preserve. That's how you say it. I speak for a living. Anyway, they were looking for animals. And he said they saw this big circle uh, of vultures. And they said the tour bus driver said, hey, let's go up there and see maybe there's a kill. And he said, so we crept up over this hill. And sure enough, come up over the hill. And a pride of lions had taken down a Cape buffalo. And, And the tour guide said that's very rare because the Cape buffalo is huge, fierce animal, and the lions hardly ever bother him. But he said, this particular day, a male lion and three females had taken down this Cape buffalo, and he said they were ripping it to pieces. And he said, it was a bloody massacre. It was nasty, messy, but he said, you couldn't keep your eyes off of it. It was fascinating to see the power of these lions tearing this thing up. And he said when they were done, uh, one of them went over and laid down under the tree, and the other ones followed, and they just took a nap. Kind of like Steve after a pitch in here at church, you know, just lay over and lay down. And he said, uh, as soon as they did that, the whole food chain showed up. Jackals and hyenas and vultures and birds that are coming around eating off this Cape buffalo. And he said after about a half hour or so, the male lion stood up and stretched. He turned and took one step towards that 
Cape Buffalo, and they all got out of Dodge. Dogs yelping and running and birds flying up. Because he said, when you see the king of the jungle, everybody knows it. I was thinking about that story because I'm telling you, you and I are going to leave church today and we're going to see our Jesus in one or two lights. We're going to see Jesus as that tame lion in the zoo. It's not going to bother your life. It's not going to interrupt. He's behind bars. He's entertaining when you want him to be. Maybe call out to him once in a while. But he's safe. And if you leave with that today, you're going to have a sick, sad faith on your hands. And you're going to be serving a powerless Jesus who has no claim on your life at all. And you're going to wonder why your faith is weak. Or you're going to leave here today and you're going to see your Jesus as the king of the jungle. More than that, the king of the universe. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The power of everything. Who has full claim on your life and can run it any way he wants to. And if you do that today, you'll never be the same. And you know, that's what I love about this church. We took the dime store Jesus off the shelf a long time ago. At this church, we worship Jesus Christ on our knees. He's king of the universe. He's God of everything. And we do it every week right here at this table. We recognize his broken body and his shed blood and the price he paid for the forgiveness of our sins that we talked about. He's coming back to get us. And I'm suggesting this morning, in addition to his thank, thanking him for that this morning, that you come up this morning and ask the Holy Spirit, what part of your life have you not given over control? What part of my life am I stiff-arming, Jesus? And then put your arm down and let him have his way.